go 10 times slower than you think you're supposed to. And what that means is make people in deep, lasting, meaningful, authentic relationships with the people around you and the people that you want to meet. The most important thing, more important than your marketing, more important than your image, more important than your new book, more important than Facebook. Welcome to episode 25 of the Coaching Life podcast, where we peel back the bull crap and brush away any photoshopping to give you an unfiltered look at what it's like to live a coaching life. Now, controversially, maybe, but one of the things I absolutely love about the coaching profession is that it's actually completely unregulated. Some might argue that's not such a good thing, but to me, that means um, it is a profession of freedom with a wealth of coaches um, offering to help and be of service in so many different ways. There's such a diverse mix of coaches working with a range of clients. And even those who solely work with, for example, business executives and leaders, you know, work with many different ways with those kind of clients. And my guest today um, in his latest book actually says he works at the intersection between business and entrepreneurship and what would be de best described as highly effective woo-woo. <laughs> I love that. He has a master's in spiritual psychology and is a certified breathwork practitioner. And, you know, from where I'm sitting, it does seem to be all about adventure. He's the author of a couple of great books that would help and serve anyone, especially coaches. So I'm very happy to have him as my guest today. So a big warm welcome over there in L.A. Um, to Jesse Gross. Hello, Jesse. Hey, Phil. How are you? I'm very well. So thanks for taking the time out to, to, to join us today. Um, Jesse, we didn't really connect at the time. In fact, you you probably didn't even notice that I was there quite frankly I sat at the back of the room but I first came across you at a book launch in LA in September 2013 I think that was about the time you were uh, either just about to launch or finishing your first book your wild and precious life um, which I read um, it's a fantastic book can you tell us a little bit about your backstory that got you into coaching and indeed into that room at the time yeah, great. And uh, thanks for reading the book. I'm glad you liked it. Thank you. Um, yeah, so my story is pretty, um, God, it's a long, I'll give you the short version. Uh, the short version is when I was 18, I stumbled upon, upon a Tony Robbins book and I read it and I just started using the techniques and I would say that it radically changed the direction of my thinking about what was possible. And so um, that was the kickoff point. Um, and then I was in university, so I studied psychology. And then um, about two thirds of the way through, I realized that the psych programs were all heading towards pharmacology and um, and uh, a lot of psychotherapy, things like that, that were not necessarily what I was excited about. So I was really at an impasse because I wanted to complete school, but I also was really into personal growth. Um, I also did some, uh, did a bunch of work with Landmark when I was in college, yeah. and as well. 
And um, so that's where it started. And then I had this epiphany where I knew it was my calling, but I also knew there was a whole bunch of other stuff that I wanted to do first. And I had this idea that if I just went all in at, say, you know, 1920, that I would never look back. And um, which, you know, for most people, they're like, great, how lucky, you know what you wanted to do, go for it. But I also had a real wanderlust. And so I took about a decade of just trying all kinds of different things and traveling and teaching. And I worked insurance. I just did all kinds of other stuff um, to satiate the wanderlust that I had. And so um, eventually that became, you know, fully satiated, I guess. That's the best way to say it. And then I got to a point where I went, okay, now I'm ready to really commit. And that's when I went to graduate school. And I enrolled in the master's in spiritual psychology program. And I would say that's when I officially started coaching. And so in 2009, I quit my career in insurance industry and started coaching full time. Cool. So what was that transition like? I mean, was it like a jump off a cliff? Did you, were you, did you build up any kind of practice before actually quitting your job? What was that transition like? Good question. Um, so I always advise to not do what I did to my clients. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I just jumped and I really had nothing set up and um, I had a lot of enthusiasm and uh, I paid somebody to build me a beautiful website uh, at the time. And uh, it really took me two years to get my business up and running in a way that felt like it was more than just a... Um, a dream and a hobby. So um, I've known people that have definitely gotten things going faster than I have. Um, but I would also say that they also laid a uh, more of a, a foundation for themselves, right? Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, I just went for it and quit my job and yeah. And I'd say it was a bit of a um, unnecessary emotional roller coaster. Um, I mean, everybody's going to go through it anytime you change careers. Yeah. But um it was based on the narrative of like all in or all out kind of a thing, which I now don't necessarily believe in. Um, and I had this idea that it's like if I kept my job or went part time or something, then I would never work hard in coaching. But what I found was that by I created such a tremendous vacuum um, by leaving my career that um, I actually had a lot of time with my thoughts and my fears and probably too much. Um, so I actually usually tell people now, I'm like, if you've got anything that you love doing that's not coaching for 15, 20 hours a week or more, keep it up because it'll help buffer the, the insecurities and the ups and downs. And yeah. so that's having a buffer of any type, especially in the first couple of years, is really moderating. Right? It's kind of like by living by the ocean versus living in the desert. Your, you know, your temperature highs and lows are very different when you have a moderating body of something that's capturing your attention and it could be anything right so um a friend of mine had a six-figure business that dissolved uh in 2008 and she was spiraling and she went her coach had her get a job at a car wash and it was a humongous hit to her pride but she's like i need some money and i need something so she sat out in front with a little sign waving her sign on the street and she said it was profoundly humbling but it also gave her something to do for 20 hours a week to get out of her mind. And then she built her business back up to where it was before in about two years. So right. um, 
is the long the long answer to that question. I mean, I, yeah, I, I, and I totally relate to your story because I did a similar thing. I'd had um, like a drip stream, if you like, of clients paying small amounts of money, and then um, I just finally jumped without any any kind of coaching business infrastructure in place. And a similar thing, really. I think it took me a couple of years to get things off the ground. And I always, when I'm talking to anybody about this now, I always suggest that they look a little bit deeper to see how your existing um, profession can actually support you in in building a coaching practice. I totally agree with you on that. I I tell my clients, I said, think of it as an almost like a devotion, right? If, if coaching truly is a calling um, yeah. for you then it's like everything else around you points in the direction to support it. Right. And so you're not selling out if you keep your job and build your practice. You know, and that's mm-hmm. what I thought as a young guy. Yeah. I was just like, oh, I'm either all in or all out. And I realized there's actually so much beauty in the gray zones. Um, and so, yeah, every, everything in support of versus kind of, you know, deleting everything and just doing so what were those two years like then jesse you know um in 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 building that practice getting off the ground what did what did you learn perhaps the most during that time Mm. um i think the biggest thing that comes to mind immediately is the idea that um one of my early coaches said to me she said in the beginning of anything you have to pay it forward a lot um before it starts coming back to you and um and so I think that that really helped me because I remember I was just putting out and creating and giving and giving and doing free sessions. And I just felt like I was putting out an exorbitant amount of energy in the beginning and not getting an equal return on my effort, um, which initially was upsetting because in my career, it's like I put in a certain amount of energy and I got a certain amount back and I was very familiar with that. And so she said, you know, you're kind of building an upwelling of, you know, karma credit, whatever, in the beginning, but that initial work that you do that feels lopsided where you're putting in maybe a lot more than you're getting out of it, potentially, in the long run, it it pays off, but it can take a while to get that snowball going, right? And so that was a great reframe. So rather than being kind of bitter and upset, I just went, oh yeah, that's right, you know, this may be 10 to one in the beginning. Right, and then at some point, which I've experienced later, where it flipped the other way, where I was putting in not a lot of effort, and a lot was coming in, which felt amazing. But then I realized that equaled out with the years in the beginning, where I was putting a lot of effort and getting no feedback. Right. So where where did clients, you know, start to come from, and and you know, how did that develop? My first client, I got on an airplane ride back from a coach training course. Um, which was great because I was super hyped up from the class. Yeah. And um, and she was just on the ride home. This lady sat next to me and she said, what do you do? And I told her and she hired me to work with her son. So that was the first. Um, and from that, they built from uh, mostly people I already knew, uh, if I think about it. I think they were just, and a lot of them came out of casual conversations. It was like people were interested in what I was doing my friends, and then in telling them about it, I wasn't trying to enroll them necessarily, I was just telling them enthusiastically what I was up to, and sharing with everybody I knew that was interested. Um, they would kind of lean into me and go, well, do you think you could work with me? Um, and so that's really how it started. 
Yeah, and that's a you know that's a very common theme actually, Jesse, on on yeah, in in these interviews. Um, pretty much everybody asks that question. It is um, their first client simply come from talking to people about what it is they're up to? It's really really that simple. Very yeah, nice it's very point. innocent. It's like this very innocent, enthusiastic level of sharing where you, you, you're not even at the beginning. There's no way you're any good at enrolling people. So this is like the, the simplest form of, you know, kind of naive enrollment, which is just sharing enthusiastically with nothing other than no intention other than to just share, um, which I think to the right people comes, aclo- comes across so clean that they just immediately come closer. Yeah. So was there a point for you then where, you know, things started to, to ramp up? Was there like some kind of shift when you look back on that? Totally. A hundred percent. So I hired my first full-time, you know, expensive year-long coach uh, after, I think it was either during or near the end of year two. Um, and the the work that we did together immediately shifted my practice. I mean, I was like, um, it was strong, you know, and I, I immediately I signed, like I doubled, I think my first coach was about, it was about $10,000. And, you know, in the first month I signed $20,000 in clients. Right. And so that was, you know, of working with him and that was exhilarating. And that was like, you know, paying it forward, paying it forward. I know I can do this. I think I can do this. God, I hope I can do this too. All of a sudden, holy shit, I'm doing this. Um, and that was big. That was yeah. really big. And it, it was kind of funny too, because that was kind of the shift in hypocrisy where I was the coach who didn't have a coach to the coach who was, you know, using my own product and it worked. And I went, oh, okay, that's right. <laughs> that's so it sounds right. like an obvious question, but how did, you know, what did that change within you then, Jesse, hiring, hiring that coach? Um, great question. Uh, what it was for me was the coach I hired could see me in a way that I could not see me. And he was really clear about enrollment. And I was really not clear about enrollment. And he was just like, you know, can you help these people? And I said, yes. And he's like, are you afraid? I said, yes. And then he said, you're not charging them enough. You need to go six months or a year and you need to charge them like what I'm charging you or more. And he was just so clear in a way that I was not clear about me at all. And so it was his clarity of the value of a long um, relationship with a client and charging a strong amount because I had never paid for that. Up until him, I hadn't paid for that. I hadn't had that experience. So I was kind of doing the session by session and all that. And so, yeah. um, and, but I, I will say even into the two first clients I got, you know, higher, higher paying clients, I didn't believe it. I totally was like just riding on faith and hope and him telling me every session, you got this. And I didn't even believe that I had it until I was, you know, that year was complete and I still was terrified and thinking I need to refund their money. And like, so it was, I didn't even achieve full belief in myself until after I was even done with them. So it was like, I was, I was kind of flying around, flying along on his belief of me and his clarity of what I was offering and the relationship and the power of the relationship. Hmm. So did, did that time with that coach actually change your view of coaching in any way? Tremendously. Um, it made me realize that um, coaching is a deep, intimate relationship. Um, it can be. 
and I think it's best served as a deep, intimate relationship. Um, he helped me understand that enrollment is two ways and that it's not just me trying to convince or sell or use my own energy to up-level somebody else's belief in themselves, which is very kind of one-directional. I understood that it's actually this really cool alchemy of a lot more listening than talking, and it's nothing to do with convincing somebody else, but actually asking deep questions, mm-hmm. you know, and not as even a, not even as a skill set, literally following my own line of authentic, deep curiosity about who that person is. And I'm actually like inspecting them to see, do I really believe that they, you know, is it 50% believable that they could accomplish what they're trying to do? Mm-hmm. Because originally I thought it was just kind of this big sales job of like, you know, let's get them to believe in themselves. Let's get them super hyped up and then get them to say yes. Right. Which kind of felt like my, you know, my experience when I worked for Tony Robbins um, before I coached. I forgot to mention I, I did work for him for a couple months. Yeah. Um, and it felt like the training we had was just like get people riled up, and get them to commit. Um, and um, not as a reflection on him at all. That's just, you know, what they, that's what I understood. Um, and so this was like, oh, no, this is about deep relationship. And, and this is about really actually kind of excavating to see if indeed that person is coachable. A, do I think I can be of service? And B, are they being even, you know, 50% believable? And if, if it's any less than that, then, you know, let's have some reality checks. So I'm wondering in practical terms, um, what changed for you as far as enrollment um you know because <laughs> we all do eventually run out of people that we know to talk about coaching with totally um, <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. so i think we've all st- we've all started that way you know coaching you know friends and friends of friends and what have you um you know kind of like well what, what what came after that great so yeah, so it's like I think in any profession that has a sales component to it, an enrollment component, that's where you start. Right? Whether you're a coach or you're you know, a real estate agent, and it's like everything starts with your circle of friends and their friends. Yeah, and then we and then we hit a dip, right? And then when you hit that first dip, it can be terrifying. It happens in the insurance industry too. It's like really common. So. Uh, what happened for me was I hit that dip, right? I was like, yeah, I'm rocking it. I'm the best coach ever. And then it's like nothing. It's like crickets. And then it's terrifying. So what I did is I just went, well, shit, I got all this free time now and nobody's calling me. So I ran the experiment of, well, what if I just followed my natural instincts of what I care about and gotten involved in in communities, not as a tool to enroll people, but just because I need to do something with my extra time. And so I got involved in charities, I got involved in coaching groups, and um, I took classes. You know, I did a whole bunch of different things. Uh, I started writing, right? So um, I started creating things. So I always tell people, like, get involved in community in a way that's really exciting to you because when you're in the community, you will shine if, if you're following your own passion, yeah. even if you can't figure out the connection, right? So I volunteered for this big fundraiser not because I thought it would get me clients, but because I really cared about it. And then because I was naturally shining because I cared and I was good at it, somebody made the imaginative leap in the group. They're like, wow, I think this person could coach me. Right. And somebody made the imaginative leap that, wow, maybe I would want to go on one of his retreats because I've seen him in action. Right. And then I, you know, I went to Burning Man. Right. And I was like, wow, how do I justify a couple thousand dollar a week 
when I haven't had a client in four months, oh, well, I really care about it. So I'm going to dive in so deeply and I'm going to volunteer and I'm going to create beautiful things. And then people in the group are like, oh, did you know he's a coach? And it's like, oh. And then people would call me and like, wow, I want you to coach me because you were so dedicated in creating that five-story you know, dragon that I thought that guy is the kind of person I want to be around, right? Yeah. So it was like this, this thing where it's like I never went into it going, how do I get clients? I went into it going, what do I like to do out in the community in a visible way that I love to do? Right? And then writing the book, of course, it's like if you don't know what else to do, make something, be of service, share, create, give, which is the opposite energy of this feeling of like I need more clients, I need more clients, which creates this kind of desperate vacuum, which is the same as like I need a girlfriend, right? And and people smell that from a mile away, right? And so it's it's like it's easy as a coach to just get stuck at home in the like kind of needy energy, right? You know, not that I've ever been there a lot before, <laughs> right? And whenever that happens, I'm like, go create, go do something beautiful, go volunteer, go write a book. And so I think based on my experience, it's like through service and through creation out into the world, like AKA get out of your house, close your computer, being you in the best way you know how to be you, um, there's a trickle down effect that it, that happens that way. Do you, do you um, think, because you know, there's something here that I feel that I've struggled with it and I know I create the struggle, um, that there's you know, a difference between you know, seeds we plant that are, that are, that are going to you know, grow and nourish, and nourish in the longer term and perhaps in the shorter term. And if, and if you see that there's perhaps a difference, has that been conscious? Have you been you know, doing being of service out in the world? in different ways. Hmm. So short versus long term seeds. Hmm. What, com- what comes to mind is, um, well, I'll start answering and if I'm not answering to your question, let me know. Okay. So, um, I think it helps coaches to think of everything as long term. Um, First of all, so every interaction, every post, every book, every smile, every hug, like everything you do is a cumulative part of enrollment, not as a strategy at all, because I think if you try to strategize, people smell it, but it's people are paying attention to who you are in the world. And that's a short and a long-term strategy, right? It's like if you're being brave and courageous and, you know, if you're personally experimenting with your life in a vulnerable way, some of that is short-term because people see it and they're like, oh my God, I want to do that, right? And then some of it's long-term because they may need to be in your realm for years before they ever call you and say yes. Um, you know, a more short-term thing is like making a direct offering for something, right? That feels very short-term to me. Yeah. Um, when somebody reaches out to me on Facebook with curiosity and I slow down my big stuff that I'm doing to actually come back and ask questions and maybe spend an hour or two on the phone with them out of genuine curiosity, that feels really short term to me because I know a certain percentage of those people that I genuinely am curious about, I know a certain percentage of them them will become clients immediately, right? And I know that from experience. So 
to me, if it's like I need something now, uh, you know, if you need something now, I'd say, you know, go work, go make some money in any way you can, um, right? Because there's no guarantees with coaching. However, the most immediate turnaround I ever get in coaching is from spending, you know, a couple hours or a couple times with somebody that's deeply curious um, or genuinely interested. Um, and that seems to be, I don't know, that seems to be the most effective thing for me on an immediate level. Does that, does that answer yeah, your question? Yeah, perfect, perfect. Love that. Perfect. Yeah, and, so, and I can give you, just, yeah, just one second, let me give you one, give you an example. So I was on a conversation uh, today um, with Alex, and she's my partner, and also she helps me with my business. And she said, okay, you know, I want to focus on this next offering you're doing. I want to focus on your Peru retreat, this thing you're doing Saturday. So she she was mentioning all these things that are, you know, spread out over the year, right? Like, let's focus on all that stuff. And I started feeling a little bit dizzy. And I said, you know, actually, what I'm focused on most is the three people that reached out to me over the last two weeks that strike me as having genuine curiosity in what I'm up to. So I prioritized those people over any of the big grand schemes I have based on what I just shared with you. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's like I'm putting off, you know, working on my Peru retreat. I'm putting off launching this other thing. I'm putting off the deadlines, goals, you know, that I have for these larger things because there's a human being who I feel is maybe standing three three feet away from me. And to me, that's much more important for the growth of my business and the growth of my soul and the opening of my heart than any like beautifully mastermind large event with marketing and events and a book signing and anything else I could work on. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. So I want to ask you really about adventure and retreats. Um, so how did that aspect of your coaching come about? Has that always been there? Um, yeah. Can you just tell us really how, how that came about? Okay, great question. So the retreats came first. Um, I guided uh, trips in college, wilderness retreats. And um, so that was actually my first thing I wanted to do was lead transformational retreats before I ever wanted to coach one-on-one. -on -one. That, was, that was the leading edge. And it is the first thing I did. Um, over the years, I have backed off of them a little bit. Um, initially, I was leading with them because it was what I was strong at already. I already knew how to do it. And I was actually very insecure about my coaching skills, but I knew I could lead a retreat, and I had a sense that the retreat had enough of its own magic that even if I thought I was only a moderately good coach, the trip would go really well and people would get a lot because the container created by the adventure itself would assist me, right? So it was like a crutch actually for me in a strange way. People were, you know, people would say, oh, so cool. But the dirty secret was is I was actually using it as a big crutch because I was afraid of actually sitting in a room with a bunch of people staring at me for three days. 
<laughs> and people were like, wow, that's so adventurous. That's so amazing. Maybe someday I'll be able to lead retreats. And I'm like, if you only knew, I deeply admire the fact that you can sit in a hotel room for three days with a group of people. <laughs> right. So, so there was a transition about four years in where my coach was like, you know, maybe it's time for you to stop being a retreat leader that coaches and start being a coach that leads retreats. And so that was a turnaround for me. And so now I would say firmly, I would say, I think that I'm a much better one-on-one -on -one coach, uh, and coaching with people than I am a retreat leader. Um, I think I'm a good retreat leader. Um, I know people that are better, um, but it's completely flipped. So now I actually have pulled back on my retreats. Um, and this year I decided I wasn't going to leave any unless people came hunting for me. And I do have a group of people who are chasing me down to do uh, a Peru retreat. So I'm, you know, courageously stepping <laughs> back into that. Um, uh, just, I don't know, that's a whole other story in itself. But um, it's funny how it's come around. So, uh, and to add maybe a deeper cut on your question, um, I do, I have coached a lot of people into leading retreats that are already coaches. Um, and I would say that is something I'm very good at. Um, and I, I, do, I think if you are a moderately to good coach and you feel good about that, um, and you're willing to share your leadership with somebody else or somebody you, else you hire on the ground to take care of the logistics and the safety components of it, um, that a lot of people could lead some really nice retreats. Mm. Um, there are some responsibilities in leading a retreat around um, legality and safety that are often, I'd say, underlooked to the optimistic person who's just like, I'm going to take a bunch of people to Costa Rica and we're going to do plant medicine and sleep in a tree. And they haven't thought like, well, what happens if, right? Yeah. And so yeah. I've definitely had, I've had to fly people home early. Um, I've had to have, you know, in Nepal, I've had to fly people off the mountain for things. So there is a maturity to it. And that's where you definitely want to make sure that your ground crew um, that you choose to partner with is has a great reputation um, and they can really uphold the safety of the trip. Hmm. So I'm curious, um, has running any of those retreats, what kind of impact that's had on you as a coach? Mm. Gosh, uh, on a marketing standpoint, it's kind of like the, it has been in the past, the kind of, um, what one of my coach said, she said, your trips are like the candy that pull people closer to the deep work, right? Because mm. as we know, people want coaches, but they also don't. People want to heal themselves, but they also don't. And so it's a nice, easy way to kind of lure somebody into the deeper work. Like, hey, we're going to do this great trip. Okay. Right. So there's that um, piece of it. So that was kind of my initial understanding, I would say. Um, but to answer your, quest your question directly, it's made me grow tremendously as a coach, um, probably more than anything else. Um, I find that for me personally, leading trips is the growth curve is massive. The challenges on the internal level are massive because I'm holding space for, say, 10 people for two weeks, 10 days, um, and I'm holding space for their transformation, 
I'm holding space for their personalities, right? Like anybody can be nice for three, a three-day workshop. Yeah. But when you spend two weeks together, everybody gets to learn who everybody is. Yeah. I'm holding space for their safety, which is massive, which is really not an issue in a normal workshop situation. Um, and then simultaneously, I'm holding space for my own psychological well-being, my own personality, my own well-being, right? So I don't know of a greater, more challenging um, opportunity and uh, for growth than leading a, a international retreat um, for a coach. I mean, it's just, to me, I always call it the gauntlet, right, for my clients who want to do it. I'm like, just know you're in for something amazing and you're going to learn a lot. Yeah. Um, and probably the biggest challenge for me has been, and still I wouldn't say this is resolved inside me, um, is this thing where as a coach or if I'm on stage for a short period of time or something, I get to be who I want to be because it's a compartmentalized experience, right? So it's like I can pull together, meditate, become my best self before a coaching call or before a small presentation or a class or something. But when you spend two weeks with somebody, it's like they are going to see me and whoever the coach is in our full dimension. They're going to see us tired in the morning, cranky, arguing with our partner. Like they're going to see all of it. Yeah. Right. And it, and it's like, unless you go through tremendous, you know, I know people that are, you know, say personalities and been on Oprah and stuff, they'll go out of their way to make sure that nobody ever sees their humanity. And it's very compartmentalized to make sure they just get the guru. And so it's like, for me, it's like, you know, some days I've got my coach hat on and sometimes I'm just me. I'm a guide. Mm -hmm. And how I respond to somebody is totally different at six in the morning when I'm just working on being with me, right? Then if somebody, you know, then if I'm well rested and we're in a coaching scenario and somebody asks me the exact same question. So, you know, one of the things I tell people when they go on these trips is you're going to see all of me. So if you've had any delusion that I'm some kind of a guru, like I'm definitely going to disappoint you. So be prepared to be disappointed uh, if you're doing that. And even my, you know, my coaching clients who lead trips, that's a struggle for them because they know that maybe everybody coming on the trip has seen them through a certain lens and it's a curated lens, right? Through the lens of sessions, through the lens of their Facebook persona and all that. So if you're somebody that really enjoys, you know, kind of maintaining your persona, um, this is going to be a good challenge for you. If you're somebody who's really diving into the kind of dissolving of the guru idea at all and tends to attract followers and or participants who admire you for your humanity and for your messiness as well as your grace, um, then this is a great playground. That's wonderful. I mean, actually, to me, that sounds liberating in a sense for you as a coach. Yes. There really is nothing to hide. Yes. It's liberating and also in the past up until now has been really challenging because even when I think that I'm super open, it was like something would come up and I'd be like, oh, I don't want them to see that. I definitely don't want them to see that, right? <laughs> and so it's like this peeling. Every trip I do, it's a peeling of layers, peeling of layers, peeling of layers. And then I often discover the thing that I'm like afraid that I don't want them to know about me. A, either A, they already knew, or B, they don't give a shit. And that I've created some story, you know, some old story about what it means to be a leader. Um, 
So yes, liberation, sometimes graceful, sometimes painful, but yes, always liberating. Beautiful. So you've spoken quite a bit about you as a coach, um, but I'm, I'm also curious, how would you describe yourself as a client? Mm. Good question. Mm, what would my coaches say? Um, I would say as a client, um, which of course mirrors the kind of uh, clients I attract naturally, um, I'd say that I can be profoundly enthusiastic, um, and especially in the first six months, um, I am prone to lose energy if I'm not getting a lot of feedback, uh, especially verbal feedback, because I'm a verbal communicator. Um, I am very, very receptive to structure. Um, I am very likely to challenge my coach, um, especially in the second half of the year. You know, once I start seeing them as a person, that I tend to start pushing against their character. Yeah. Um, I'd say that I'm probably a fun um, client to have because I produce. And I know as a coach, it's fun when your clients produce things. So I tend to act and create and produce. So that's fun. Um, the least fun thing I would say for me, having me as your client, is if there are out of integrities that you're hiding, I'll find them and I will push on them. Mm. And so you'll probably hate me for it. And then later on, two years later, you'll be like, you know what? I'm so happy he was my, he was my client. <laughs> <laughs> So let's have a little further peek behind the curtains. It doesn't sound yeah. like there are, you know, <laughs> particularly particularly dark curtains. Anyway, it seems uh, all, no, all the curtains is, are open. So I'm just wondering, for, yeah, for you at the moment, then what's um, not working, or what is that one thing that you've got going on right now that um, perhaps is your challenge or that you'd like to change? Good, God, I love this question. So what's really challenging for me right now? This last year, I've had a lot of um, pain in my back and in my body, and I'm aware that it is not just physical, that it's actually um, emotional, spiritual, psychic, right? It's My body is literally responding to me, and one of my mentors says, you know, when your body starts falling apart, um, it's the last attempt of your soul to tell you, like, hey, listen to me. Mm -hmm. And so I'm aware that when I, I took on a, a group of clients in the beginning of this year and the way I was holding space for them was creating a lot of physical pain in my body. And so what I noticed was that when, you know, my partner's like, great, let's go more, let's go more. All I felt in my body was like pushing back, like backpedaling, backpedaling. So I stopped leaving breath work because I was feeling exhausted after my classes you know, I was pushing back on new clients coming, pushing back on retreats. And my partner was like, what, you know, what the hell, man? Like, you have this great momentum. Let's, like, explode it. And my body was just going, no. So even as I lean into my Peru retreat, sometimes I even just a thought, I will experience immediate pain in my body as it relates to the thought. And so I'm in the inquiry of how do I expand, grow, deepen in what I'm doing in a way that is in alignment with my soul in so much that my, you know, that I can clear up this kind of year long bout of chronic pain mm. that seems to be directly related to my work 
into my clients, holding space for my clients. Um, and that's the inquiry I'm in. And it's like how to hold space for people and how to interact um, in my coaching environment in a way that it is not damaging my body yeah. and that it's not depleting my soul, right? Not that your soul could be depleted. I'll say my soul energy, right? Like my core mm. prana, we'll call it, right? And so, and I'm not sure, I don't know, I don't have an answer for that yet. Um, and the other night I was at a dinner party with some friends and one of them is a coach. And I heard her over saying to my partner, oh, you know, those are something about me making excuses for not launching my next like, big project. And I was interesting to hear them say excuses because I was like, okay, so checking in, you know, am I, am I honoring my soul, right? Am I honoring my body or is this some elaborate scheme developed by resistance and my ego to try to keep me small? Or is it some combination of both? Right, which is most likely the case. So, um, because a physical ailment that re- responds directly is an easy way to ah look, I can't. Yeah. Looks like I gotta go on another vacation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it, you know, that's it. And so I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm in that inquiry. Like I'm really deeply in the inquiry of, um, of the question that I just you know shared. Yeah, yeah. What a great opportunity that is. Yeah. Yeah. So we're on our, um, your time and the time of our listeners as well. So I've just got a couple more questions for you. Um, who or what has influenced your coaching the most? Mm. God, that's a great question. Um, it's an evolution. It's definitely an evolution. Most recently, um, most enthusiastically, my coaching, I would say, has been positively influenced by my participation at Burning Man um, and that environment and what that environment means to me and what it, that environment means about giving, about being of service. Deeply impacted by that. Um, I, worked, I worked with a coach named Steve Chandler years ago um, and he was the perfect fit for me. Like his strengths directly lined up with my weaknesses. Yeah. He was he has been a great influence. Um, my mother, uh, who's passed, she was a tremendous influence in my coaching um, because her whole thing was to just let people live and don't ever think that you know the answer or that you know anything about anybody else yeah. as far as what's good for them. Um, because I find whenever I think I know what's best, or whenever I try to use my personal energy to direct somebody else's life, I lose. Um, and I think my clients lose time and energy as well. Um, Tony Robbins was initially a really big uh, influence on me, much less nowadays, but he's still in my, you know, he's still there. Um, and then USM, I'd say the last, lastly, University of Santa Monica, and Ron and Mary, and that whole base of spiritual psychology has just really deepened my understanding of the value of um, mind, body, spirit, mostly I would say mind, spirit. Um, and so I'm looking forward to the, a mentor, the influence, the um, 
direction around specifically around the body connection because that's what I'm currently most dealing with. So I would say that's the realm of influence that I'm excited to lean into. Mm, beautiful, beautiful. So then, then finally, <laughs> um, yeah, I read your great book um, last week. My life coach wears a tutu. That's a great book for any and every coach out there. Um, but I'm going to ask you really to to summarize in like thirty seconds or a minute or so. If you had um, you know, all of the coaches that your book is aimed at, if you had them all in one room and you had a message for them, 30 seconds or a minute or so, what might that message be? Mm. I would say go slow. Go 10 times slower than you think you're supposed to. And what that means is make people and deep, lasting, meaningful, authentic relationships with the people around you and the people that you want to meet the most important thing, more important than your marketing, more important than your image, more important than your new book, more important than Facebook. Beautiful. Jesse, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me today. Phil, it was an honor and it was a pleasure and you are an absolutely fantastic uh, host. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, be well. I think this was a fabulous interview with Jesse. I so appreciate him and his openness and his honesty in all that he shared. There's so many things in this episode, so I'm actually only going to pick out a couple. At the start of his coaching career, when he didn't have many clients, Jesse simply chose to go out there, simply be of service, volunteering in his community, and that put him among people who could see and witness his level of dedication to service, and that in turn led to clients, people coming to him. And secondly, he spoke about return on effort. You know, about putting a lot of effort out there, building an upwelling of credit, I think was the term he used, in the beginning. You know, because it takes a while to get that snowball going. And I think he's sort of said that uh, maybe it was 10 to 1 at the beginning and then later on the return was like 1 to 10. You know, it kind of all evens out. We have to put our stuff out there, go out there, be of service. But these are only a couple of gems out of the many treasures in this episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. I'd love to hear from you with any takeaways or indeed any feedback at all. Thank you once again for listening. I'm looking forward to next time. I wish you much love and joy. Enjoy.